This good? We good? I haven't used one of these in 10 years. So, um, yeah, as Paul said, I'm Paul. So they used to say Paul's the Paul's at Communitas. So this is like a coming home for me. I'm really, really just grateful to be here. Um, I like to open in prayer, so I'm just going to do that real quickly. Father, we just thank you for your love. And uh, we are so grateful that it does surround us. Um, we just ask you to come now. We just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that, um, yea, though we walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, you are with us. And you are the light, the way, the truth, and the life as well. So we bless you. We thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we've been talking a lot about suffering and trials and tribulation and rejoicing in that. So I told Paul... I think, you know, the Lord has put something on my heart to share with this with this community. Um, Paul mentioned Adriana, and we call her Linny. It's just kind of a cute family name. Um, that was not an easy road for us. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that today. And then the title of the message is really just Rejoicing in God in the Midst of Trials. And why do we do that? Why does Scripture call us to do that? And really, what is the point? Like, what is the purpose of that? Um, so I'm just going to spend a little bit of time in an introduction, and then we'll get into um, the meat of the message. But <clears throat> growing up, I really didn't have a vision for marriage or family. Um, I didn't really have a vision for a life in God. I'm 35 now. I look like I'm 15, but I am 35. <laughs> so people always say, like, you're 35. I'm like, I, I am. It doesn't look like it. I look like I could probably be most of your, like, grandchildren. Um, but I am 35. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so I really didn't grow up with a vision and a life in God. I, I grew up mostly viewing marriage and family as a burden, um, to be totally honest with you, an inhibitor to really like what the life I wanted to live, which was playing baseball, competing in sports, and making money. Um, those are kind of the things I liked. I grew up in a sports family. My dad's a baseball coach. So our lives revolved around that. I actually worked for the Minnesota Twins for six years, and I was in the clubhouse and around the whole, like, you know, athletic lifestyle and growing up and um, seeing the multimillionaires and what they did. And I'm like, oh, that looks awesome. So, yeah, that was what I grew up with. Um, so by 18, I kind of went through college and childhood and adolescence without any sort of a vision. But then I started to find I was, like, super angry, pretty depressed, and because I was fairly intellectual, I would just mask a lot of that pain with cynicism and like intellectual satire, which maybe some of you can relate to, maybe I have not. No idea what you're <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I liked like satiristic movies. You know, I won't name them because I don't want you to like look into them, but I, I liked them and they're really not healthy for me. But then I was also really rebellious. So I rebelled against my parents and I just really didn't care for people. I thought people were mostly annoying. Um, so then I'm in college, and by now I'm a junior, and I'm starting to recognize, like, the fruit of this lifestyle is really, really painful. And so I'm now a junior. I'm, like, 20-something years old. And the Lord, though, is starting to, like, unlock my heart and hunger for love. And I thankfully was, like, through unrealized circumstances, like, thrusted into a biblical college. And I started to find people who, like, genuinely loved Jesus, and their lives looked a lot healthier than my lives, my life. 
And I started to recognize, like, the kingdom of the Bible is a lot different than, like, shame-based rules. And it's actually about a father who loves us and who loves us so much that he put his spirit inside of us. And the real miracle, though, was that not was I just, like, recognizing this, but he was actually putting that love inside of me and wanting me to share it with others. And so now I'm starting to learn, like, there's a father who loves me, but he's also wanting to help me learn what it's like to be a father, which was super unfamiliar to me and kind of scary because, like I said, I had no vision for family and childhood and parent or childing and, and all that. So what I started to realize is that, like, before God was a creator, he was a father. And that was a very different realization to me. And not only does he want children, he wants us to partner with them in that. And that was a very different realization for me. It's like, you actually want to partner with me as a father. And so during that season, I remember being so hungry and like so desperate for the reality of love that I just started pouring into the word because it was the only place that I actually felt like peace. And I grew up so anxious, so confused that I like rarely slept. But like in the word and then at Communitas, like I felt love for the first time and it's actually where I felt peace and I could rest for like the first time. And then I remember Karen actually upstairs one day, she's like, I told her, I'm like, I really struggle to sleep. She's like, well, God gives rest to his beloved. Like it was just like this thing she lived in and I'm like, that's reality. And so I was like, oh, like God actually wants to give me sleep. And so I started to uncover and like, understand like there's way more to Christianity just like showing up at church and like checking the box and you know like doing the the routine and the motions of like you know what I thought was like biblical faith which was not reality at all so while in the word like I actually so the first place I started was like John the gospel and I was like okay this like everyone just I just read John the gospel so I was like okay so I get to John 15 and I read, like, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And I was, like, so thankful for this verse. And I'm like, Jesus. like, But it was always kind of easy for me to reconcile that Jesus loves me because he was a man and I could relate to him a little bit. And I'm like, well, you kind of, like, had a job. You were a carpenter. You grew up in a family. But I remember actually, like, saying out loud, man, it would have been so cool if he wrote, like, well, as the Father loved me, so he has loved you. So then I kind of, like, kept going. You know, then I got to John 17, and I actually, like, read the high priestly prayer in the words where he says, like, that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. And I remember being so, like, taken back by the reality of the Father's love that I actually had to set the Bible down. And I actually, like, had to just, like, start to reconcile with my own, like, beliefs of the Father and realize that, like, you're way different than I ever envisioned. And the fact that he, like, dialogued that with me and, like, walked me through that progression where he was, like, kind of setting me up, right? Where it's like, oh, what if you actually said this? And then kind of challenging the truth of the scripture. And then he did. And I, the best I can describe it is, like, the father just, like, slowly reaching into my chest, like, pulling out my heart like this delicate gift, just like breathing life into it, just kind of like awakening me to his love and like reminding me, or not even reminding me, like for the first time revealing to me, like, Paul, your story is very different than what you grew up with. 
the 18 years of pain and fear and cynicism and satire. So then fast forward, now I'm married and I have a vision for the Lord and I have a vision for God and I'm just like going for it. I'm at Communitas, I'm living this biblical life for the first time and I'm leading this young adult ministry and I'm here actually in this room for the Tuesday night meeting and Ken Krause is here and he's talking about family and he's teaching out of Malachi 2 and I've never read the verse, let alone heard a message on it and he's emphasizing the reality that God wants godly offspring and he reads, you know, did he not make them one, talking about husband and wife, having a remnant of the spirit and why one? Because he seeks godly offspring. And the best I can describe it is the weight of the presence of the Lord made it so clear. Like this was the word of the Lord. For that community, for our lives, that God wants his children to love him. And like that's what he's doing. And then he gets to Malachi 4 and he's like, and then there's this miracle that's going to happen before he returns. He's actually going to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the children to the father. And I remember like hearing a message about this, like here's Malachi, like the context of this scripture. He's about, the Lord is about to set up the church with over 400 years of prophetic silence. And Malachi could have probably said anything in that season, like the Lord's going to turn all the kingdoms of the nations back to the Lord and they're going to bow down and declare him as the king of all kings. And like it would have been anointed. Like he could have said so many prophetic words in that moment that this is the last time we're going to have a prophet for 400 plus years. But instead, the father talks about the family. And he's like, he's turning fathers to the children and children to the fathers. And so I get this vision and I'm like 20 some years old and I'm like, I'm going for it. We're going to do this, Adriana. We're going to raise godly offspring. It's going to be a weapon in the days to come. And our children are going to go after Jesus. And this is what the Lord's going to do to restore humanity back to the kingdom before he, before the fall. And I'm like so fired up. But what I didn't realize is we were about to enter into one of the most grueling trials we've ever walked. Because it was going to take seven years for this vision to come to pass. And pain after pain and miscarriage and surgery was about to descend on us. And we were not prepared for it. So this morning, like, what does it look like to rejoice in those seasons? Like, and I'm not talking about, like, you have this, like, vision, oh, like, I want a new job. It, like, that, those are good visions. Don't, like, I'm talking about, like, violent dreams where it's like you felt, you feel like this is what I'm called to do. This is my destiny. This is what the Lord put me here for. And then you're resisted with it. Like, how do you rejoice in those seasons? How do you look to the Father in those moments and not grow in despair and quit? Because as we just heard from Paul, like the enemy's ways are to get us to quit, to give up, and to lay down those dreams and just succumb to frustration and despair. Like, what does that look like? And more than that, why are we called to do it? Like, why does the Father do that? What is the point? And so I'm just going to talk briefly about that. The reality is, is we want Christ. We want to be near him. We want to fellowship with him. And we want to be transformed into his image. And the reality of that transformation is it's a process. And God doesn't change. 
If we want to look like Jesus, if we want to walk with him and fellowship with him and be equally yoked to him as his bride, we're changing. I'm the one who needs the transformation. And the reality is, is like suffering is a tool God uses to shape that character in us. It's a vehicle and it's a, there's, a, there's a reason to it. And as citizens of the kingdom, we're the hope. We're the hope of glory. Like that's the setup. The father has created this incredible story where he's taken broken people and we give him ashes and he gives us beauty. I give him my sorrow and he gives me joy. I give him mourning and he gives me praise. And that's the redemption process is if I'm going to be that light to the world through Jesus, right? It's not through my strength, but it's the vehicle. I am the ambassador of the kingdom. I need to change. I need to be transformed. And suffering is one of those tools and vehicles that God uses to make that happen. And he wants genuine love. He wants us to voluntarily give us his love in the day of his power, which is what Psalm 110 says. But to do that, I need to trust his leadership. I need to know what he's like. And that means changing, and that means dying to myself. So the scripture is really clear. Just a few highlights. I know Paul is really good about echoing this, but just, you know, I think it's important. You know, scripture is really clear about suffering, and it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you counter, when you encounter various trials. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that it brings about perseverance. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. And this, this one's so radical. The, the apostles, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for the shame of his name. I mean, that, that's just so radical. But um, it's, it's reality, right? So the truth is, is we have confidence in God in our trials, knowing that he overrules the pressures in our lives to cause them to enrich our fellowship with him and be conformed into the image of Jesus. And one of my favorite scriptures of this is Romans 8, where Paul says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called accordance to his purpose. And this is the important part, right? To be conformed into the image of his son. So God is so sovereign and so beautiful. He can use anything. And the reality is it's to be conformed into the image of his son. And I, that's really what I want. I want to look just like Jesus. I just want Jesus. At the end of the day, I just want people to look at me and say, he's not like the world. There's something different about him. He's walked with the man. He's walked with the man who is love. Like, when you look at love as a man, it's so different than when you look at love as an emotion or a sentiment or an experience. It's a man, and he has a personality, and he has feelings, and he has desires and a will, and he has opinions. He has an opinion about the decisions I make, and I want to walk with him, and I want to understand that. And then more than that, I want to look like him. I want him to change the way I think and renew my mind. And so to do that, I need him to reorient and recalibrate the things and the, the thoughts that I have about the decisions I make. And a perfect example is Joseph, right? Joseph, he gets this vision from his father. 
his father and Rachel, they, Jacob and Rachel, they have great trial, great suffering to bring about Joseph. And he gets a vision early in his life. Early in his life, he gets a vision. He gets the, the technicolor dream coat, whatever you want to call it. Right? But then between the point and the onset of that destiny being put into his life to the point that it came into fulfillment was great suffering. Great challenge. And not just it's like yeah, he stubbed his toe. It's like, no, his brothers throw him in a well, sell him to slavery, and then he does nothing but walk out that challenge with you know, great virtue. And then the wife of the prison person, whoever it is, I'm forgetting the name, Potiphar, sell him into even deeper prison. And all the while he's just like, grateful and has this heart of steadfastness before the Lord and over time becomes the second man in power in the greatest nation in the world. Carries the signet of the ring of Pharaoh, which is basically authoritative power to, to walk out whatever statutes the, the man of power, the dictator has in that age. And he says, and this is his heart before his family in Genesis 15, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about it as, is the, as it is this day to save many people. Your story of suffering can bring freedom to many. It can bring many through a season of challenge and deliverance. And in our trials, we declare to the truth, and this is where the, weapon, this is where the, the warfare <laughs> happens, that we fix our eyes on the word and we say, it is written, all things work together for the good of those who love us. It is written. So this is the transforming truth of the word, that we understand what's going on. We understand there's purpose in the suffering, and we declare that truth over our circumstances instead of simply giving in to despair and thinking God's quit on us. Because the reality is it's the exact opposite. The exact opposite behavior of a father when he's putting pressure on your life, it's because he's forming something beautiful in us. And if we're to look at it in the opposite lens and say, well, God's given up on me, that's what the enemy wants. And the truth is, as any father or parent knows, when you're putting pressure on your children, it's because you're wanting something great to come out of them. And that's what the father's doing. He's putting pressure on our lives. He's putting us through that crucible because he knows through that fire something beautiful is coming. And that's what Peter's talking about in the first Peter when he says, your faith is more precious than gold refined in fire. Because what they would do is they'd take that gold piece of currency, they'd stick it in fire to bring out the impurities, and then the goldsmith would scrape them off. And they'd go through that process until it was more precious. But the father's saying, your faith is actually more important than some piece of gold in fire. Because actually in the days to come, we're going to walk on gold. The currency of this age is going to be the streets of the next age. It's going to be what the Father uses. There's going to be an abundance of it. And I like to think of it this way. If I'm an architect, you know, and I'm like, well, what's a sustainable thing to walk on? It's, you're going to use like gravel. Well, there's rocks everywhere. I'm just going to throw gravel on this because it's easy. It's durable. I can run cars over it. There's going to be such an abundance of gold that it's going to be worthless. We'll use it as streets. <laughs> it will just, well, I'll just throw gold on the floor. We have plenty of it. I, don't, I really don't need it. Your faith is more precious than that. 
The currency of this age is the streets of the next age. But your faith is more precious than the currency of this age. So Paul talks about in Romans 5, there's three things we can rejoice in. And I love what Paul talks about. When you see in scripture repetitive words, it's important to pay attention to it because the author is trying to tell us something. So in a few short verses, Paul says, the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but also rejoice in tribulations. And we also rejoice in God. So we rejoice in the glory of God. We rejoice in tribulation. And we rejoice in God. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because there's a certainty to it. Hope isn't something that's fragile. It's an anchor. Bible talks about hope as an anchor. It anchors our soul in the truths of Scripture. So we rejoice and we hope in the certainty and the anchor of the glory of God. And I love what Paul says. He says, you know, and, and Paul's crazy. I mean, we can just be honest. Like, like Paul's life is so intense and crazy. But he talks about it's like a little while. Our light affliction is working in us an eternal weight of glory. Like anybody who knew suffering, it was Paul. And if he's able to talk about it as our light affliction like that, that he's not trivializing the affliction it's important to recognize that like, he's not trivializing getting beaten on the back being shipwrecked being thrown in prison what he's doing is he's comparing affliction to the weight of the glory because it's like this it's it's that different and it's not that his affliction is minimal it's that the weight of the glory so surpasses the challenges he's experienced that he can honestly say it's a light affliction. So that's the vision, right? It's like when we get that vision, and that's why it's important to have a vision to understand the purpose of suffering, it's not to be a masochist. It's not to suffer for the sake of suffering. It's not that I'm just tougher than you, and I'm going to walk through this life as like Hercules in the art of suffering. <laughs> that's not the point. It's not, we're not white-knuckling faith. It's that the weight of glory that's coming, I want to look so much like Jesus that when I see him, it's just like, I know you. I know you. And, and you know, there's so much more to Jesus. You know, John saw him in Revelation and he fell dead because there was more grace and beauty than he'd ever encountered. But the reality is, is John knew Jesus and he walked with him. And that's what we're going after. We have life hidden in Christ. And when Christ who who is our life appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. So I just want to talk a little bit about these two feature virtues of suffering, and then I want to get to our story because I think that's important. Um, and this is unto our story of Evangeline, which I think will be important. But two important things come out of suffering, and that's perseverance and character. There's more than two, but I'm going to just talk about those two. Perseverance, and the reality is, is that the devil lies telling us that our trials are proof that we've been forgotten by God. We've been disqualified from his blessing. We've been destined to fail and that a relationship is deficient. That's the lie. But the reality is, is no, it's the exact opposite. And perseverance helps us and gives us fortified resolve in our commitment to continually realign our heart to love and obey and believe and pursue Jesus without giving up. And here's the lie that Jesus' leadership is bad. That's the lie. 
when we experience suffering, the reality is, is like, well, here's what Scripture says. You're my shepherd, and I shall not want, but I feel like I'm wanting. I feel like I'm in a season of wanting. And I have to reconcile that, my reality with the Scriptures. But the truth is, is the Scriptures are more real than what I'm experiencing. And so that perseverance helps us realign with Jesus. And again, it's not persevering unto like, oh, just give me grace to endure more. It's persevering unto realigning with Jesus. It's persevering to the point where I'm saying no to the lie and yes to the truth. And I'm realigning my, my perspective in my mind to the truth of Scripture. Because the reality is, is the battle takes place in the mind. The battle isn't so much in the outward experience of persevering and white knuckling. It's realigning my thinking to say, Jesus, I feel like my life is a mess. But your leadership is perfect. You're brilliant. Your eyes are like fire. Your hair is like wool. Your feet is like brass. You wear a robe dipped in blood. You're coming back on a horse with a name that is above every other name. And you're going to consume the enemy with the breath of your mouth. I'm realigning my perspective to your leadership. That's the perseverance. That's what we're persevering unto. It's the faith walk. It's the faith muscle. And then it's the character. It's saying the long-term changes in our attitudes and actions are worth it. It's what you're doing inside of me is worth the pain, the momentary affliction. This is worth it because I know in the end I'm going to be a better person because your leadership is doing something in my life. The character that you're forming inside of me is more precious than gold refined in fire. The character and the virtue that you're teaching me, that leader, because here's the thing, he wants his leadership to become your leadership. And so if my leadership can align with his leadership, I'm going to be a better man for it. I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better friend. I'm going to be a better whatever, servant. I'm going to be a better disciple to Paul. I'm going to come here and be thankful that I can scrub the floor versus want to stand in front and be noticed because there's work to do. So that's the character. And the tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character. And that's what we're after. And then this scripture too I love. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We want to see him. We want to see the Father. My favorite verse in, in scripture is John 17, 3. This is eternal life. Here's Jesus, the Son, God in the flesh, declaring the quality of eternal life. That's an important con context, right? If, if I'm going to have a definition for eternal life, I'll take Jesus' definition. And he qualifies eternity by saying to know God. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, to know God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. In the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So if I want to know God, I need a pure heart. I need him to trust me with, his with, with the revelation of his beauty. And it's just like when, when I'm in a meeting at work, there are only certain you know, credentials that get you private information. I want to have the quality of a character that Jesus can trust his personality with. And if he's going to trust me, it's important to have a pure heart. How do we have a pure heart? 
we gaze, we trust his leadership, we walk with him, we talk with him, we have a relationship with him. So that's what we're after. We're after that reality. And the other thing about the character is it's important to flex that faith muscle. In, in, in trials and tribulation help you with that, a really easy example is physical exercise. I like to, I, I played a lot of sports growing up. I like the challenge of exercise. I take it as like a personal competition. The weights don't get lighter. I just get stronger. 30 pounds today is going to be 30 pounds 20 years from now. But I'm going to be able to do 20 reps versus 10 reps because I got stronger. The same goes with faith. The trials I face today aren't going to be as rigorous as the, if I face that same trial 20 years from now because my faith is stronger. I've, I've seen it before. I've walked with it. So we rejoice in that. We rejoice in that situation. So I'm just going to close with a quick testimony. And I think this is important because this is, because like I said, we had that vision 12 years ago. My wife and I have been married 11 years. We started for children seven years ago, and we just had one in July. So that seven years when we got that vision from Ken Krause to when it was fulfilled was challenging. So here's how the, so through that, we struggled with fibroids. We struggled with endometriosis. We had all these circumstantial challenges. We went through multiple surgeries. We went through fertility treatments. Um, we had a miscarriage in our first one. So we, we got surgeries, and then um, we finally conceived. And I remember it was just beautiful. It's like the Lord, you know, here it is. Like, we're so pumped. Six weeks go by, and we realize it's like this is probably not what we hoped. So I remember just devastating, you know. And as a father and as the husband, it's, it's really uncomfortable because, you know, and I don't know if, you've, if folks in here have struggled with it, but for me it was so uncomfortable because you're dealing with your own challenges and issues with the Lord, but then you have to be there for your wife. And she's so, she's so sad. She's like, sorry, I can't give you kids. And it's like, no, that's not how I feel. I know that's how you probably think I feel, but that's not how I feel. So you're ministering to her. And then you're trying to get your own ministry. And I remember just battling through the awkwardness and the discomfort of it. And then, you know, Paul was right there with us the whole time. And he's like, Paul, you know what? I'm terribly sorry, but I just want to encourage you. Like, the Lord actually told me this would happen. But it won't happen again. So I just want to bless you with that so you don't quit. And you're just like, oh, what do I do with that? And you're like, that's really uncomfortable. But I'm like trying to be thankful in the midst of it. It's like, you know, Lord, I'm glad you're sovereign amidst the whole thing, but that really doesn't help me reconcile the pain of my wife struggling for five years, and then we have one, and we lose it in six weeks, and then you told us it would happen, or at least you told Paul it would happen. You didn't tell me. So you're just, so that, that's really uncomfortable. And then, but the other part that was really intense is during the first pregnancy, I remember I'm coming home from a workout, and I love to worship after my workout. It's just kind of a time I have with the Lord. And the song, all of his promises are yes and amen come on in my, like, Pandora mix or whatever. And I just remember just, like, this time with the Lord, and I was just, like, so tender. And we just worshiped, and there was just a lot of, like, weeping. And I'm just like, Lord, you're faithful. Like, you're so faithful. Like, you, yes, your promises are yes. And then we lose it, and I'm like, ah, that was not what I was signing up for. Like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, 
12 years ago when we said yes to Ken Krause's message, I did not sign up for this. But, you know, like, again, you're just like, okay, Lord, like, you're faithful. Your leadership is better than my experiences. So then fast forward like two years later, I'm 34 now, and I never told Adriana about that story, about the yes and amen moment. I was in the kitchen by myself. I'm like, this is you and me, Lord. This is what you're doing in my heart. Like, this is for me. I never told her. So two years go by, I'm 34, and Adriana's like praying for me for that year. And she's like, the scripture I got this year, and she's like wrote it everywhere. She like put it on my workbook, you know, in, in the car. She wrote it on like my computer. Just like this was, and she like, it wasn't like a normal thing. She doesn't do this like every year. So I'm like, this is her word from the Lord. She wrote all of his promises are yes and amen this year. And I'm like, that's a pretty personal word. And I'm like, and I just never told her. And I'm like, okay, Lord. So like now I'm kind of like frustrated with the father. And I'm like, you know what you're doing. And like I have to sit here and like come to terms with this and reconcile this and like let you heal my heart. It's just like so uncomfortable and frustrating. So like that's the word. And like it's like, and I would find like little post-its like all along that month because like she'd just hide them place and she'd be like, I really want him to see it. And like this is cute. And like a little note on the fridge and then behind my like timekeeper in my notebooks. So I'm like just like, ah. So then several weeks go by and I'm at church. We're at the Grove or whatever. It was actually Johanna, um, Kathy and Chris's daughter. She gets a word for me on my birthday. And she's like, Paul, I really believe this is just a home run season for you. And all the dreams and the desires of your heart, the Lord's going to fulfill this year. And I told the Lord in that moment, I said, Lord, and I didn't tell anybody this but the Lord. I said, Lord, if that's true, we're going to have a baby. And, like, that is going to be the litmus test of whether or not that prophecy is true. Like, I'm tired of the silliness. Like, I'm sick of it. And, like, I got, like, tough with the Father. Like, whether that was good or not, I don't know, but I did. So forgive me, Lord, if that wasn't wise. But I, that's what I did. It's like Jacob <clears throat> wrestling with the yeah, and I was like, that's what we're doing. Like, we're just going to wrestle tonight. And I'm just like, oh, and I didn't tell anyone. So weeks go by. It's now November. My birthday is in September. The same year, we go to Breakthrough Prayer Night. And it's just like, we've honestly prayed this prayer for seven years, and you're, like, tired of raising your hand for prayer for the same thing for seven straight years. But don't quit on it, right? So they're like, who needs breakthrough? And it's, like, kind of jovial. And I'm like, I wish I felt the same way you did, but okay, I'll raise my hand. So I'm like, we've been, you know, and everyone in this place knows our story, so they pray for us. Again, again, the women pray with Adriana, the men pray with me, and it's like, all right, sweet. So a month goes by. I'm coming home from school. It's like 11 p.m. I'm exhausted, and Adriana is, like, so good about, like, encouraging. She's just an awesome wife. So I come home, and there's a little gift on the counter, and it's now, like, December, so I think it's, like, Christmas, like, early gift encourage Paul he's in school I'm graduating in like six months but I'm in machine learning and I think like big data architecture and then I'm working full time so I'm like <laughs> sleep deprived and I'm like tired <laughs> whatever right I'm like studying like you know Python algorithms and I'm like you don't want to know so I like see this little gift on the counter and um, 
I have no desire to open this gift because I'm like, I don't want to pretend to be grateful for like a little gift card to Starbucks. Like, that's cute, but I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> I just want to go to sleep. Like, I love your thoughtfulness, but I really don't want to think about coffee because that's going to make me think, you know, the morning and, you know, so I'm like, forget it. So I'm like, thanks, honey. I'll open it tomorrow maybe. So I'm walking upstairs and the Lord stops me in my track and he goes, it's a pregnancy test. And I'm like what and she's like sitting on the floor like sifting through dvds like like nonchalantly and now i'm like in a battle because i'm like hey, is that my heart is that me is that you i'm like discerning this thing and i'm like really not sure what to do with that so i get halfway to the stairs and i'm like i think i'm gonna open this now and it was a pregnancy test wow. and it was positive and so now I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> so the Lord was faithful, but in the, you know, and I know we need to wrap up here, but the reality is, is the fight didn't stop there. Because at six weeks, we had the exact same symptoms as we did with the first miscarriage. And now I'm wrestling with Paul's word where it won't happen again. And we're weeping in the kitchen like, Lord, you said this wouldn't happen. So now I'm like holding him to it. And I'm like, you better come through because you said it would happen. And then 13 or 14 weeks come and we're in the urgency room and it's a mess. And I'm walking out of the room because I'm like, if this is going to happen like this, like I don't know what to do with this. But then there's nothing there. And so weeks go by and weeks go by. And then before you know it, like she's here. And then the beautiful thing is, is we go to Sunday church to like t share this message at North Springs where her parents are pastors. And we hadn't been there in months. And the worship comes on and the guy's like, you know, we don't really sing this song much. Um, but we just felt like the Lord put it on our hearts today. And the song is all of his promises are yes and amen. And so it's true, beloved, like his promises are yes and amen. And the scripture I want to leave us with is the one that got us through it was Psalm 23. And beloved, he's our shepherd. And the beauty of it is, is whatever the season we're in, and this is the part that helped us so much, is yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with us, for you are with me. And the reality is he's with us and we don't understand it all the time and it's painful and he's doing something in our hearts, but he's with us and he cares for us and his leadership is perfect. And out of the trial, whatever it is, there's a miracle coming. For us, it was a baby. For you, it might be a family member saved, whatever it is, but don't quit. Don't give up on his leadership because it's worth it. And when I look at her face every single morning and I see the beauty of who she is, I forget the pain. I forget the trial. I just see the miracle. And I'm like, I'm just so grateful. So bless you. Thank you.